Episode number 11 of the Board Together Games podcast is brought to you by new friends, new experiences, new games, and listeners like you. Thank you. In this episode, we discuss a whole bunch of new games and new-to-us games that we played at Geekway Mini, and that's probably all we're going to have time for. I wanted to play this, and I hate you guys. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 11 of the Board Together Games podcast. My name is David. And I'm Jerry. I'm Kathy. And you know, I was sitting here again thinking... Oh, man, this is going to be another long episode. But you know what? Even though it may take us two and a half, three hours to record, you only end up with like an hour episode. I edit the bejizo out of these things. <laughs> we are so bad at this that it takes us like five times at everything to get it right. We're very, very bad at this. Yeah, we jabber on forever. Especially me. So if you appreciate poor quality, keep listening. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll get it wrong eventually. <laughs> we're recording late again. We've had more technical difficulties, but we're powering through. Yeah, we are. So we've got a lot to talk about tonight. I'm excited. So I wonder if we should just forego the uh, normal formalities or yeah. no, I like hearing about what's going on in your life. Tell me what's going on. Okay, good talk. <laughs> 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 All right, so can we talk about the games already, please? <laughs> sure, I guess so. <laughs> so sometimes I'm scrolling through the show notes. You know, we do try to be a little bit prepared and we have just, you know, some some shared documents out on Google Drive. And it's funny, I read through some of these before we start sometimes. And Jerry, you put the weirdest things in the show notes. <laughs> Isn't it strange? It sounded like a song title or something. <laughs> what, what's wrong? <laughs> what is what is House of Chaos and Sorrow? <laughs> so, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about your house yes yes <laughs> yes so i put that down because i don't like to write verbatim what i'm going to say but it's a it's a little cute so house of chaos and sorrow let's see this week we broke the banister on our stairs going up the stairs good times and then my two-year-old decided that he would take a star wars lightsaber while i wasn't looking and whack it against our led uh tv upstairs and crack it which was mm. super good and then we went on a date on Friday, and the babysitter, God bless her, somehow sat on our, uh, what do you call a thing that goes above the stove? The vent? Hood. Yeah, she, she like put her elbow or something on there to reach at the cabinet above, and she dropped it, and it hit the, the stove. We've had this house for 11 years. This has never been an issue. Then she does this thing. <laughs> wow. So that I had to fix. <sighs> She's not a listener, is she? Uh, no. Well... <laughs> I was very nice to her at the time, but I was not thinking godly thoughts while I was talking to her. Oh. So, and then Sunday night, Toby, my third, comes down with a fever, is running like 103 and got really sick and my wife wasn't feeling great. She stayed home. So yeah, house of chaos and sorrow. That is my life. Well stated. <laughs> Anything going on with me just seems like it's not even worth talking about anymore. <laughs> I know. It was one of those weeks. And, you know, I'm not even like a negative person. But as I look back, I was like, well, it was good this week was over. Do you want, should, we, <laughs> should we pray for you right now? Like right now? Sure. Hit it. <laughs> and then, you know, on top of all that, Jesse's last week was on Tuesday. And that was kind of bittersweet and sad. But, yeah. you know, we're going to miss him. We're, we will no longer have Jesse stories, or at least not as many. Well, he'll be around. He'll be around. And we'll get him. we'll get him on the podcast at some point. We need to. We should probably cut to the chase then. 
we played a lot of games recently. And a big part of that is because we went to Geekway Mini, which is a small uh, board game convention here in our local area. It's a three-day event. So good. Really a two and a half day event. I mean, let's be honest. It's only two and a half days. Yeah. Which is a little short. I kind of wish it would have been another full day because I had a great time. I mean, I had a fantastic time. I know you guys both Me did too. too. Oh, it was yeah. a blast. Yeah. Kathy, what were what were some of the things you said about this after we uh, got out of there on Sunday? Well, on our drive home, I remember I said, so what did you think about Geekway Mini versus Geekway? And you said, oh, I loved it. And I think my comment was, I'll never miss another one. Yeah. And I know, Jerry, you had a similar sentiment, didn't you? I, well, I got to say, Look, I mean, I like, I love Geekway and I've only ever been to Geekways. I've never been to Gen Con Origins or anything like that. I'd love to go to those at some point and I love Geekway, but Geekway has the whole center and all those other side games and competitions and tournaments and things going on. Like they fill the event for the five days and it's great. You can pick from it and you can choose what you want to do. This was just pure. Yeah. It was just you and a board game. And some people that you may know or may not know that also are passionate about board games. About 400 people. And it was beautiful. It was so just boiled down to just what I love to do. And I played basically 60 hours of board games. Well, not really. But you know what I mean. For 60 hours, it was sleep or play board games. And the the word that kept coming to mind, even though it's not maybe the best descriptor, because again, it was hundreds of people, but it still felt quaint. Yes. It felt intimate. Yeah. And I think that is what drew me to it. Because I'm, I don't like big crowds anyway, for the most part, because I just get... I don't know. I have that personality where I just feel uncomfortable around masses of people that I don't know. And even though I didn't know any of these people, it was just smaller and it felt more intimate and more comfortable for me. Yeah, it didn't feel crowded or anything. It was just like right. a bunch of people kind of sitting around playing games. That's it. It's fantastic. There wasn't very much, uh, of a, like you said, wasn't much of a crowd. Uh, there was only like a few rooms that they had. Things, everybody was spread out enough that it wasn't tight. Congested. At all. Yeah, congested. That's the word I was looking for. I think the only time we had to search for a table was, uh, what was that, Saturday evening. It got a little bit crowded. I think it's where it was probably maximum capacity. And that makes sense. It does. It does. And kudos to the organizers and the volunteers for making that event what it was, mm -hmm. because those are really, to me, the unsung heroes always in these events. I mean, people, Absolutely. You know, they come in, they do their thing, they, they use it and abuse it. And not very often do the people who are really doing the hard work to put things like that together getting recognized. Yeah, kind of a thankless job. Don't know if anybody of them would ever listen to the podcast, but if so, you did a fantastic job. They did a great job. 100% loved it. And the whole most wonderful part about it is we played some games. Yeah, we did. Not just one game. Yes, Not sir. just two games. We played some games. Knocked some things out. We tried some things that I don't think we would have normally tried. We stepped outside our box. We played some games that we, you know, had kind of been looking forward to. And we have some, some opinions. One, one or two of them. <laughs> Do we have opinions? <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have a couple. You know, we also met some great people, didn't we, Kathy? Oh, that's true. Yeah, so we met this guy named John. Really nice guy. Uh, he came to us. We had a players wanted sign up when we were getting ready to play Freshwater Fly. And he came over and said, do you need players? And we have invited him in. We played that game with him and he was very pleasant. We really enjoyed the camaraderie and just the back and forth and talking with him and getting to know him a little bit better. Unfortunately, we didn't get his contact information. So we would love to hear from you, John, if you're listening, if you could contact us at boardtogethergames at gmail.com. That would be great. 
And we also met a really nice couple, Chris and Kayla. They were sitting next to us at one point. We just kind of struck up a conversation and that ended up turning into playing a few different games with them. And we spent most of Saturday evening with them playing games and just had a wonderful time. Yeah, we did. That's great. Really good people. And that's really, that's why do we participate in this hobby? And really for me, it is about the people. For sure. So yeah, the fact that we got to meet some some really cool people. We met a lot more people than that, but those were the folks that we spent the most time with. John, we played a few games with him, played quite a few with Kayla and Chris. So yeah. And we also got some pretty hilarious feedback on your uh, post about your board game organization, Jerry, didn't we? <laughs> we yeah, did. We did get some pretty uh, hilarious feedback. I mean, as I was looking it over, told everybody that we would uh, go out there and put a post out there, let you see my board game situation. And I must say, first thing off the top, I cleaned it up before I took these pictures. Yeah. There were stacks in front of this. <laughs> there were stacks to the left of it. Yeah, you didn't get the full effect. <laughs> uh, you didn't get the full effect. I made sure that they all fit in the cubbies before I took the picture. And I also removed all the toys away from the picture. About three feet beyond the picture's frame, there's just Legos. Just laid out on the floor for like a death trap. So, but. I don't know that too many board gamers would have minded that. <laughs> Fair enough. Good point. But I wanted to clean it up. So, I mean, we've got some comments here and I I love this one about the getting my own tiny house and putting it out back. Aside from the fact that I don't have $60,000, it's a great idea. Yeah. Having my own dedicated board game tiny house is a genius idea and I would do it. <laughs> you know what the first thing was when I saw that, I thought of when I saw that one? What? I don't want my games that far away from me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. I kind of thought that as well. But I mean, that was awesome. And uh, then like Stephen Blackler said that I should just mail him all of my games that I don't want and create some new space that way. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Nice try, Stephen. Nice try. It was a nice try, but uh, those are those are my games. He's just trying to help you out, man. Yeah. And then like uh, Tyler James Gullet, I believe you would say it, is, said to build more shelves. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a part of my plan. I have some grand plans around that, but uh, the truth is it probably will never happen. So, Well, long and short of it is we appreciate all your comments and keep them coming. Post is still out there. If you have some brilliant ideas on game collection organization, find us on Facebook, Twitter, all the uh, social media spots. And help a brother out. Help a brother out. Yeah, help a brother out. I don't think we're allowed to say that. Sorry. Why not? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, already, can we please talk about board games? Like the games we played? Please? Fine. Please. Fine. Thank you. All right, here we go. Let's talk about some games. What was that? Was that the... Uh... <laughs> that was the basement theme of Super Mario Bros. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so, we played a ton of games and we're just going to kind of walk through uh, really brief what the game was and our thoughts on it. This should be really good. We have quite a few to go through, so get ready. Your mind is about to be expanded. Or completely shut down. Exploded. Shut down. Exploded. <laughs> Exploded. Exploded. There you Exploded. go. Exploded. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah, by the way, disclaimer before we get started names will be butchered. Lots of them. Mistakes will be made. Many. And opinions will be given. Terrible ones. Please know that, that they are opinions. Yes. They are just opinions. And you know what they say about opinions. <laughs> yeah. What do they say about opinions? They're round. <laughs> <laughs> So, Freshwater Fly. <laughs> <laughs> We're so far off. This is I know. starting out so great. All right, Freshwater Fly. 
unfortunately, Jerry, you did not get to play this one with us because you showed up just... And I'm still holding this against you. Well, you had some stuff going on on Friday morning. Yeah, I did. And so Kathy and I got there a little earlier than you, and we... Uh, decided to get a game in of Freshwater Fly, Jerks. which is one that I both of us were really looking forward to. And I, I know you wanted yes. to play it too, Jerry, but I did. That's just the way it is. <laughs> so this is this is a game by Bellwether Games. This is a fairly quick dice drafting game where the dice actually dictate the actions that you're going to take on your turn. And players are either going to on their turn they're either going to cast out into the river or they're going to if they have a, a fish on the line they're going to reel in the fish uh, in order to do like set collection-y type of things uh, of these different types of trout that are that they're trying to catch out of the river all in an effort to score points the cool thing about this is there's variability in the player boards so each player is going to get a player board and some of the things that are listed on that board are a little bit different when it comes to set collection and end game scoring which i thought was kind of cool Another interesting part about it is that a lot of these different fish are easier to catch and some are harder to catch. So as Kathy mentioned, we played this game with John and we had a really good time with it. I thought it was very cool. I First of all, I love the theme of this game and the mechanisms I thought were phenomenal. I thought they all fit together super well and it just kind of went right along with that whole theme of casting and reeling and pulling in the fish and it's just cool. There's just not a lot of games out there with this kind of theme and I thought this was implemented superbly. The casting was cool because it was it's everything's tied to the dice draft, right? So whatever you draft on your die dictates how powerful or how good of an action you're going to be able to do on your turn. So the higher the dice, the better you're going to be able to reel in the fish if you have one on the line or it's going to dictate where in the river your cast is going to go when you cast out into the river. It was cool. I enjoyed this a lot. It's a little puzzly. Uh, it's also got this uh, finesse tracker mechanism, which was really clever and gave you some really good options to mitigate the luck of drafting dice or just kind of help you out if you get stuck with something you really didn't want. I thought it was a great follow-up to Coldwater Crown. It doesn't replace it for me because I think they're both really unique and I love the theme of both of them. And I really enjoyed how thematic this one was. And I think this one is probably going to end up in my collection. And honestly, I hope he keeps going. I hope they keep going with Bellwether and Brian to put out more of these fishing themed games as long as they're all kind of unique and clever. Bring them on. I'll take more. Well, I really liked the fact that it was a dice drafting game, of course, because that's one of my favorite mechanisms. It really felt thematic to me because if you're either casting out to catch a fish or you're actually reeling in the fish. And what's cool is you can only have one fish in your hook at a time, which is thematic. Some of the fish are harder to catch than others. And I really love the feel of the mechanism where you're physically reeling in the fish on that rondelle where you have a little wooden disc and you're spinning it in a circle like you're actually reeling in and choosing different actions upon that as you're going. It was really cool. I really enjoyed that feel of reeling in a fish. And as Dave said, I love Cold Water Crown and I love this game as well. They're very different and they don't replace each other. Two completely different feels, two really different games, and they were both equally good. I wanted to play this, and I hate you guys. <laughs> We're sorry, Jerry. We don't hate you. No comment. Ouch. <laughs> too dark? Wait, wait, too dark? <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> no. I refuse to dignify your hatred with a response, so we're going to move on to Silver and Gold, which is the next game that Kathy and I played without Jerry. <laughs> oh. 
Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. So this one is designed by Phil Walker Harding. It is published by Pandasaurus Games, and it's for two to four players. And this one is a pretty light, it's in the roll and write genre. It's another one of these that's a flip and write. It uses cards instead of dice. And players are going to have, in this game, four rounds to complete as many objectives as they can. And by objectives, I mean basically just filling in cards that they're going to draft with these different grid patterns on them. You're going to be flipping over cards that have polyomino shapes on them, and each player is going to use that polyomino shape to fill in these cards. That's how you complete objectives. The whole purpose, as in most games, is to score points. And this one took me by surprise, actually. I mean, there's there's a glut of rolling rights out there now or fli- and flipping rights. There's a glut of polyomino games out there. And every time I feel like we've reached critical mass on these things, both rolling right and polyomino stuff, I get blown away by something like this. And it's not that this does anything super new. It's just done really, really well. And I think that just kind of goes to show you how deep this hobby is when it comes to designers. There's people just constantly cranking out amazing stuff. And Phil Walker Harding is great anyway. I've always liked his stuff. I love in this game that you can actually write on the cards. So you get dry erase markers. And instead of, you know, using like a player board or something like that, when you take these cards, you're actually filling in the squares on the cards themselves. And I thought that was really kind of a unique take on this thing. And it's cool how when you fill in certain spaces, like the palm trees or the X's or the coins, you get little bonuses and other ways that kind of help you in the game to score more points. It was really cool. This is a good game. It may not be something that I end up purchasing, but I would certainly play it again if the situation came up. Well, I completely agree. I love that you get to write on the cards. It was cute little flip and write. It's it slightly reminded me of bingo, just because you have to fill out the cards and complete your cards to yeah, that's true. Complete it. I didn't think about that. Yeah, n- not a whole lot, just a little bit of a feel um, when you're putting those X's on the and the squares. I thought that was really cool too. And I had this game was not on my radar at all. I, I didn't even think about silver and gold. It wasn't on my list. I didn't even really know the name of it because I really didn't see it on the list for Geekway Mini. But when we got it and we played it, I definitely pleasantly surprised. It was a good game. Yeah, I knew about it and I had seen a playthrough of it before. But sometimes watching a playthrough just cannot give you a good feel for how you're going to feel about a game. Does that make sense? I would agree. Yes. Jerry, thoughts? Yeah. Sounds like something I'd enjoy playing. I hate you guys. (laughs) Well... (laughs) So let's so so let's talk about a game now that I think might elicit a different response from Jerry. Yes. We played another game that we were in the middle of when Jerry finally decided to show up. Oh, <laughs> we're going to have to talk about this. <laughs> and I also figured out how to pronounce this one. I kept calling it Papua or something like that. It's it's Papua. Oh, like Papua New Guinea. Exactly. Okay. I should have known that, but I'm not very smart. So anyway, we played Papua. Good thing you're pretty. And this one's designed by (laughs) Javier Garcia and Diego Ibanez. I'm going to call him Ibanez because that's more awesome. That's probably, yeah. Yeah. Any guitar players out there, you get me. It's published by DeVere and it's for two to four players. And in this one, I think it's, we're not explorers, we're scientists, I think, going on an expedition to Papua New Guinea. And in this one, players allocate dice. And the way that they allocate dice when they roll them is via scientists, which are your little workers, little meeples that you have in front of you. And you allocate them to different areas on the board. The interesting part is that the values of the different areas of the board and what dice you're going to allocate using those workers is going to change from round to round based on where the players actually assign those pip values to be. The more scientists that you allocate to an area, the more powerful the action 
typically is or the more resources that you get for placing them there. But placing more scientists costs energy and energy kind of equates to points in this game. There's also the option of rolling disasters on the dice when you roll, which means that basically you can't use them. I mean, you can kind of mitigate the horrible things that might happen, but you can't use those dice. And you play this game until someone runs out of energy, and then you count up points for different things like set collection from cards and whatnot. And honestly, this game wore me out, I think is the best way for me to, to, to describe it. It was too long. It was too swingy. It was too luck heavy. All of those things, for what it, for what it was, it just didn't work. It did have some redeeming qualities, but not enough to mitigate the luck factor for me, which you guys all know how I feel about luck if you're a listener to the show. <laughs> I don't mind it, a little bit of it, but a little bit goes a long way in my eyes. The way you assign the dice values to the zones uh, in the game on the board was probably my favorite part. It was interesting, but ultimately this one, hard pass for me. And we honestly ended up cutting it short. It's not a terrible game. It's just not for me. I would agree with that because I feel like the game was a good game if it would have stopped earlier. I felt like it really overstayed its welcome. Yeah. So at the beginning of the game, I was enjoying it. The game ends when you run out of energy and I was ahead, which means I was managing to sustain most of my energy and I continue to have the most throughout the game, which gave me the advantage of choosing which dice values would be assigned to which action to take. Right. So I maintained that through the pretty much the whole game, except one of the actions was bidding on the purchasing of set collection. And I really don't enjoy the mechanism of bidding on things yeah. at all. So I kind of avoided it. Well, it turns out if I participated in that particular action at least a couple of times, I might have won. But I ended up losing by three points to John, who had very successfully collected many, many cards. <laughs> so I'm um, not sure how it would have actually ended up if we had played it all the way to the end and not cut it short. But uh, I was very ready for the game to be over when we did. Uh, I'm not sure I would play it again just because it took so long and it definitely over overstayed its welcome for me. Well, and... You bring up a good point, and we talked about the end game trigger. There's two of them. I think the end game triggers are either somebody runs out of energy or all of those expedition cards that you use for set collection run out, and mm -hmm. this game went on forever. If you and all the other players are successfully keeping your energy level up and mitigating the loss of that energy, it's just going to make the game go longer. And I know, I just, I don't like that kind of stuff. You're probably right. I probably, I probably perpetuated it a little bit just because I maintained like close to 50 energy, which is the most you start with for quite a while in the game. The game encourages <laughs> you to do that though. True. Anyway, Jerry, on this one, I know you didn't play it, but I think you do have some thoughts on it because you were kind of watching us. Yeah. So I'll say I watched and normally I will say that I don't mind sitting down and watching a game, but within like... 10, 15 minutes of trying to understand what was going on and even reading some of the rule book, it was, it looked like a slog. It looked like something that was not fun and I was bored by watching it. Luckily, there was somebody playing Jetpack Joyride to our left and I actually enjoyed watching that more. It's, that's actually probably <laughs> a fun one to watch because it's a speed style game. Yeah. So, I ended up doing that and it felt like it was either four hours or 60 hours. I don't know. And eventually, I just I got hungry. The best part of that game was that I got to eat some fuzzy tacos. That's about <laughs> all I can say for that, that game. And also, um, yeah, I hate you guys. So... <laughs> It's got to be the tagline at the beginning. Oh, it is. <laughs> the episode where Jerry hates us. <laughs> there you go. 
That could be it. So after that, I finally got to play a game. So exciting. And we'd started off, I must say, with a pretty good one. It was called Fantastic Factories. It was designed by Joseph Z. Chen and Justin Faulkner. And it was uh, published by Meta Factory and Deepwater Games. It's a one to five player game. So this is a simultaneous play dice roller where players are racing to build buildings and generate goods to score points. Um, it's an engine builder with all kinds of combo-y goodness. And so as you're building your engine, one thing will trigger another thing will trigger another thing. And with any good engine builder, you're doing more and more actions by the end of the game. The game is a simple rule set and it's really quick playtime. It was a ton of fun. And it's one that makes you want to play it over and over again. I, I must say, I really did enjoy it. And it's on my short list of one that I would, uh, I would, I would definitely buy because it's a quick game. I feel like it would be open ended to a lot of different people in terms of, of interest and also in learning. It's not overly complicated. And it, I think it would have a lot of quality replay value in it. So I'm hoping that one of us buys it. I'm kind of watching my budget for a little while, so it probably won't be your, me right away. But if it ever goes on sale or something, I might pick it up. Yeah, I hope it ends up on somebody's shelf in our group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was good. I mean, it's certainly not like a top tier game for me. But the thing that I like about it is there are certain games out there that when I get done playing them, I don't really focus on whether I won or lost, but I will stop and I'll look at what I did and I'll think, I can do better than that next time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And this yeah. is one of those games that it is as much about me wanting to do better than my last score than it is beating everybody else's score. Does that make sense? It's about maximizing the engine. Like, I didn't take any of the dice manipulation buildings last time, and I am I got stuck with some what I would call bad dice, mm -hmm. but dice I couldn't really use. And right after we finished, I was like, man, I need to grab some of those red buildings. Like There was like the fitness center and things like that that lets you manipulate the dice. Next time, I need to do that so I can actually take the dice where I need them the next time. Boy, did I like this game. I really liked it. I, I mean, you're buying cards, rolling dice. It's an engine builder. <laughs> so many good things. That's like all the things that I love. So, I mean, I, as soon as I got finished playing it, I put this on my need to buy list right away. So you guys don't have to worry about it. Ha. As soon as it comes back in stock, it's going to be in my shelf. Done. So you're good to go. Awesome. <laughs> I love to hear that because I definitely want to play it again. And that's right. It was awesome. Good. So Kathy will buy that for me. I will. Yeah. And the, the art was really cute. The cards were really good quality and I really enjoyed the mechanism. So it's, it was definitely a need to buy for me. You know, and somebody at the table while we were playing it said Machi Koro. And I got to agree, but obviously it was, I think it was better than Machi Koro and it had dice. And overall, I can't really complain. And in, in terms of my overall rankings, this is one of my top three for the event. It's up there for me. Favorite games that we played that week. I'm not sure about top three. I'd have to think about that, but. Mine as well. Yeah, it's up there. So after that, we had to play something a little crazier, uh, something a little out there, but I, I wanted to try it just because. I like to try a wide variety of games, things that I aren't usual, usually in our wheelhouse. So I busted this out. I, I grabbed it from the uh, Play to Win and figured let's give it a try. It's a game called Jetpack Joyride. It's by Michael Golbiowski, published by Lucky Duck Games. It's a one to four player game. It, I believe it was kickstarted and it's based on the popular Jetpack Joyride app, a game which I have never played. I've only seen the icon on like the Google Play Store. It's apparently a 2D scroller, which I used to love me some 2D scroller. I remember the old, uh, you know, Mario Brothers days. Those were some of my favorite games. So players use abilities and polyomino tiles to move through a 2D scroller simulation 
with the objective of completing missions and collecting coins to score points. It, it was really interesting because what you did was you laid out, everybody had the same four levels, but your levels were had little variations in them. So you were randomly given starting cards with each of these levels. And your goal was to get from level one to level four, just using these polyomino tiles, I should say, and go from beginning to end as fast as possible or until everybody was stuck, which happened to us, I think, once or twice as well. It was fun. It was a fun, simplistic game. I think my kids would absolutely love this game and probably beg me to play it a lot. And it has the added ability of being a video game game. So if I just mentioned that to my nine-year-old boy, he'd be like, it's a board game, (laughs) it's a video game. And I believe his head would explode right there on the spot. So and speed games aren't usually my thing, but I got to say, this would be a fun little speed game to do with the family. I don't know if I'd play it with a bunch of hardcore gamers, but it'd be a fun thing to play with the family. Yeah. I would agree with the speed game thing, and I, I think we're all three on the same page with that. This isn't one that I would pursue. It isn't something I would go out and want to purchase or in a group say, oh, you guys, we got to play Jetpack Joyride. Mm-hmm. But it was very well implemented. It was. A, I felt like it was. it really gave you a similar feel to what you get on the app. And it certainly looks like it. I mean, it's pretty much a carbon copy, yeah. which is what you want in something like that. If it's going to carry the name, it needs to look like it. But I did have fun with it, and I wouldn't turn down playing it. But as I said, not a big fan of speed games, and that's kind of a deal breaker as far as being something I would want to seek out. I get that. Hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) I am not surprised. No, nobody's surprised. Uh, Yeah, we all don't enjoy speed games, and that's definitely the same in my case. And I didn't enjoy this one at all. I'm really not sure if it was because we played it later in the day and I was kind of getting a little tired. Or if it's because I don't like speed games and that's just the only reason. But either way, I was just kind of glad when it was over. It's just not a game for me. I'm sure a lot of people would really enjoy it, but it's just something that I did not enjoy. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's got an audience for sure and probably a big one. Oh, yeah. It's just not my thing. I need to check the Kickstarter, but I'm pretty sure it was fully funded is what it said on the box. So oh, I believe it. It did all right for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times that'll happen. That's the thing about Kickstarter is people are buying based on limited information. True. And with something like this, it's you get that name there, Jetpack Joyride. Oh my gosh, I love that app. I'm going to back that game. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you're just going to love it. Now, but here's a cool thing. This is a level up from the Monopoly Scrabble clue world of board gaming. True. That could be a gateway game for somebody who loves the app. And doesn't really know, you know, what a quality board game is like. Because this is different than any board game you're you're really going to play. You can buy from Hasbro or Mattel or whoever. Right. It could be a gateway game. Okay. On that note, I change my mind just a little and say, okay, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can keep your answer as it's bad for you. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just bad for okay. you. Okay. If it brings people in the hobby, then that's great. But it's not for me. How about that? I could see how it could do that. So the next game we played was one called Imagineers. And as you guys know, I was pretty excited about this one because the setting in this is building a theme park. And that always gets my attention. This one designed by Ken Franklin, which is the name of a very good friend of mine, but I'm sure a different person. At least I don't think he designed this game. And Chris Leader. It's published by Maple Games and it's for two to four players. This is a worker placement kind of civ building style game with a rondelle that travels or traverses all around the board and a little bit of engine building. 
And players in this game, they build rides in a community theme park. So basically you don't have your own park, you're all building in the same park and you're competing to get the right visitors to ride your rides and to ride the correct type of rides based on the color of the meeples that are traveling around the board. And you do this in an effort to score happiness and fame. I will start off by saying I did not enjoy this game. It felt disconnected. It was swingy. It seemed like it was almost like thrown together. The mechanism that moved the visitors around the board to get to the different rides along the rondelle to me could have been a, done a lot differently. And, and I don't know, it just felt clunky. And there was a couple different sets of cards in this game. For each round of play, there was an event card that would get drawn and a movement card. The event cards were kind of cool. They added some interesting things to the game. Yeah. And Jerry, I know when you were talking about this game after we played it, the other deck of cards with the movement deck, I think, what was the word you used? Superfluous. Yes. They were completely superfluous. Completely unnecessary. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. Not, why? I mean, it was already hard enough to get the color that you wanted to the right place. And then you put in this thing where... You can only move a group if they have a yellow meeple in it, or you can only move a group if they don't have a yellow meeple in it, which would just ruin a whole round. And when when you have a limited number of rounds, it just seemed very frustrating. Yeah. Right. And you couldn't mitigate that because it pops up right at the beginning of the round and there's no way that you can say, okay, this is coming up. So I need to try to prepare and get things where I want it to be so it wouldn't be so punishing. So yeah. Yeah. It just seemed like it killed so many, what could have been really decent strategies. Like you said, I didn't agree with, I thought there was a, there had to be a better way to move the meeples around the board on the rondelle, but it's like they took what was an okay mechanism and they were like, you know what we should do? We should make it worse. Yeah. It, it felt like the <laughs> yeah. those movement cards were something that was tacked on at the last minute because the game needed something else. Like it needed. Yeah. It's like, eh, it, we need mm-hmm. to add something else to this. I know. It was it was difficult. Those were very frustrating cards. They mm-hmm. they did they went a long way towards really killing the game. I mean, there was other problems that the implementation of some of the things just didn't quite work. Boy, I don't want to pile on too much. It wasn't the worst game I've ever played, but it might be the worst game I played at Geekway. Yeah. If I might say that. It seemed like there was a lot about it that was just, I didn't care for the artwork. I didn't care for the graphic design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, man. And and I agree, Jerry. I don't, I don't like feeling like I'm piling on because, you know, there's probably an audience for this game too. It's just, it's just I just felt like it wasn't polished yes at all maybe this is their first attempt at a board game and we're piling on but i mean if you're gonna put something out there we're gonna give our honest opinion i'm not gonna hold back i'm not gonna make everything sound like it's happiness and goodness uh this was not one of those games i mean about it didn't even take that long two or three rounds in and i was like okay this is just not flowing well Mm -hmm. yeah so it bummed me out i'm still waiting for that good theme park based game. Yeah. Haven't found it yet. Well, I hate to add to the pile on, but I just to put my two cents in, I feel like the game was kind of punishing for no reason. You only had a few rounds anyway. The whole game was only like, what, five to eight rounds? Yeah. And you had to decide whether to upgrade your coaster or place rides on the board within that really short period of time. And if you didn't upgrade your board, then you're going to get penalized. And there was too few spaces on the board. And I just didn't care for the whole flow of any of it. So it just, it what didn't seem fun for me. Um, uh, kind of with Jerry on the, after a few rounds, it was kind of like, yeah, just, uh, it's just not flowing well at all for me. So I don't, I don't know that I would play it again. That was a good point, Kathy. I forgot about that. But yeah, there were the number of spaces on the board for a, do we play this as a three or a four? We played this as a three player game, didn't we? Yeah. But even at three, this is a maximum four player game. The number of spaces on the board for upgrading or for buying 
other types of rides aside from your roller coaster was limited. So that way, by the second to last round, there were no spots to buy anymore, which seems crazy to me because then all you could do is upgrade your roller coaster. Which is fine because if you didn't upgrade your coaster, certain spots where you didn't upgrade gave you negative points at the end of the game. But that was kind of lost too because I felt like by the end of the game, like there wasn't even a challenge for me to get all of my coaster upgraded. It wasn't. No, because it forced you to go that way. Because that's the only place you could go. Yeah. Everybody was going to end up with almost the same build. Yeah. So there's no variation there. There's There's one way to win, I guess. And that's just by making sure you have the most, you get lucky on the movement cards and you have the most meeples hit your roller coaster because the rest of them were worth a couple of points but the roller coasters was where the big points would really kind of help you so like a roller coaster we're saying the game was kind of on rails (laughs) oh that's a good analogy well done when it wasn't kicking you in the face (laughs) i did feel like there was a couple times where i was ready to puke out the side of the of the car there's no brakes on this coaster (laughs) (laughs) let me off Well, let's shift gears a little bit to a game that I think we all enjoyed called Eco's First Continent. This one's designed by John D. Clare, published by Alderac Entertainment Group, and it's for two to six players. And this one is a bingo style worker placement game where players create the landscape and animals to trigger abilities and score points. And you do this by, well, it's it's kind of a, it's another simultaneous play kind of thing, right? It's bingo. So elements are going to be drawn out of a bag that all players then use to place on a tableau of cards that they have in front of them. And what happens is is when you fill a card, so a card might have four element symbols on it, and when you fill the last one or cover the last one, then you will go through and complete all of the abilities and actions that are on that card. And then if it still has what they call uses left on it, you rotate it, and then that's one less time you can use that card through the game. The actions and abilities are going to cause players to do a multitude of different things like place landscape hexes out in the main play area, place mountains, place trees, place animals, move animals, destroy the landscape, and create more energy that can be used on other cards that you have in your tableau. And the whole game is kind of a race to 80 points, and as soon as somebody hits 80 points in a round, that triggers the end, and at the end of that round, whoever has the most points wins. This one... I was looking forward to, and I actually liked this even more than I expected I was going to. I was looking forward to it because I do like those bingo style games. I like that simultaneous play. I think they're a lot of fun. This one definitely takes it to 11. We only played it once, but basically I ran out and bought it right afterwards, right after the show. You bought it already? I bought it. Wow. Wow. We're playing it. Let's do it. Didn't you see the text I sent you the other day? It said, oops, and it had a picture of Ego's first comment. I don't read your texts. Oh, my gosh. You don't listen to my podcast either. I'm all caught up, actually, so back off. Hey, look at there. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't wait to play it again. Oh, that's awesome. The coolest thing about it is the everything about it is variable. The, the setup is ridiculously variable. I mean, there's... There's certain decks that you can start with. And then I forget how many of those there are, but it was six or eight. Yeah, that you can that you can choose to start off with like preset decks, but then you can also completely randomize out of the huge deck of cards which ones, you know, you start with. You just mm-hmm. deal them out. Or you can do a draft to uh, pick your starting cards for this game. So yeah, I mean it's gonna have endless replayability as far as I can see. It's rife for expansion. So that's cool. There's tons of different animals. We didn't get to see even half of the animals that there are in the game, and they all work a little bit differently as far as how you place them out and how they can score. And the combos, holy cow, the combos you can pull off in this game. You can finish a card 
which stops the game anytime somebody finishes a card or if multiple players do it, you stop the game and then you trigger all those actions on that card, which could cause you to complete another card, which lets you do a bunch of actions, which could cause you complete another card. So cool. I think I had one turn where I scored over 20 points. It was amazing. Play moves pretty fast in this one, except for when you have multiple players that are going through like big combos like that. But other than that, it moves really quick. The tile drawing all but eliminates downtime. And my family loves playing Rise of Augustus. This is, to me, kind of the next step from a game like that. And I really hope they get into this one as well, because I think it's great. Well, I think it's a good game. I appreciate what it is, because it felt a lot like a Rise Rise of Augustus, which my family enjoys a whole lot. However, I personally thought that the addition of the landscape or the map that you create as you're completing cards, I don't know, for me, it really wasn't necessary. I felt like it was just adding more than what I wanted to play. I did enjoy the idea of rotating your cards once that you complete it and getting to do the actions again. But I think if I'm going to play a bingo style game, I would almost rather play Rise of Augustus just because it's simpler. I feel like this is too much for what it was, too much game for what it needed to be, maybe? Yeah, I think that might be it. And and maybe I didn't enjoy it because I the animal that I chose, I didn't really care for the combos that you could do. So maybe if I tried a different starter deck of animal that maybe I might feel differently, I don't know. But I just didn't care for the one that I had. I felt like I wasn't getting to do as cool of moves as you guys were doing. I was keeping up okay, but I felt like I wasn't doing things that were like really fun for me. Like I was excited about doing them. I'm going to push back gently, Kathy, and say that I loved the continent building. I loved the interplay of I'm planning a move, but oh shoot, Kathy just placed her antelope there, which is going to mitigate my move. So I need to figure out a different place to put there. We're building up a really good plains area over here. So I need to kind of see if I can activate this card in the next couple of turns. You know, this is the one I'm going to start focusing on because it'll get me a lot of points. And oh, you know, my shark is going to eat all the manatee and get me like, I think I got like 15 points for that, that one move, which was pretty fantastic. There was a lot going on and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Rise of Augustus, like I said, I've never played it, but I liked this version a lot. And I've never really even played a bingo style game that I could think of. So uh, this was an introduction for me. Big thumbs up for me because it was great. It was easy to follow. And, you know, I think a beginner could totally get into this because it's just basically covering up symbols until you get enough to activate the card. And then you just follow logically through the steps. Follow directions. Yeah. Follow directions. And, oh, look, I get two wilds, which will then activate this other card. And I follow the directions on that card and score as I go. So it was a it was a simple joy to play. And uh, this is the second of my top three of the Geekway minis. Yeah, I, I did. I like that too, Jerry, the way the game kind of had you thinking on your toes. Some games I don't like that when I have to mm-hmm. shift gears drastically, you know, stomp hard on the brakes and completely change my course of action. But this wasn't so bad. I mean, it was, no. okay, that's not my optimal move now. Is there something I can do that's a little bit better than what I was originally I was thinking? never shut out, but it was like, oh, shoot, he just placed his tree there, which means I'm not going to be able to get all the points for that. But there's two other places I can still place trees, you know? Exactly. Or I need to place a mountain first in order to place my next tree, which is fine too. So I'll switch to this card and then combo into that card. Kathy, you probably will get stuck playing this game again. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I didn't I didn't hate it. I just, I for me, if I'm going to choose between this game or Rise of Augustus, since they're so similar, I would pick Rise of Augustus. I didn't despise the game. I, I enjoyed my play. It's just 
wasn't one of my top games, that's all. Gotcha. Well, because of that, then, Kathy, I'm going to let you talk about the next one. Yeah, all you. Well, all right. The next one that we played was It's a Wonderful World. The designer is Frederick Gerard by Lucky Duck Games, and it's one to five players. In a dystopian future, basically, players are drafting cards to build an engine that generates resources that allow them to build more cards and to score victory points. Each player starts the game with a civilization that gives them like a starting resource production and possible strategy. Players then spend four rounds drafting cards to either trash for quick resource generation or build for recurring production points or both. This game is accurately compared to Seven Wonders due to the card draft and the game weight. This game is, in my opinion, so much better than Seven Wonders. It's, it was a game of the convention for me. I, I love the feel of how you build your engine. The card drafting was really satisfying. Deciding which card would you would actually use and you would trash or once you would trash for resources. I didn't do very well in this game, but I wanted to play it again right away as soon as I was finished because I was like, oh, I, I was figuring out so many other strategies like, oh, wait, I want to try this or maybe I should try that on the next game. And I figured it all out kind of mid game. So this game was definitely on my radar. I'm glad I got a chance to play it and it's going to definitely be on my need to buy list. It's out of stock right now, but as soon as it comes back in stock, I'm buying it. That's awesome. For me, I do like Seven Wonders. I think that this game was similar but different because in Seven Wonders, you you have different areas and different things you can go to. There was more direct face-to-face confrontation with the war track on Seven Wonders and you're competing to build a limited amount of monuments. In this game, you're kind of building your own engine. And yeah, because you're trading cards as you, it's basically you grab cards, you pass the trash. I never felt like I was in direct competition for anybody else. I was just trying to do my best to build my most optimal engine, which in Seven Wonders, I feel like you are a little more cognizant of what everybody else is doing because there is an opportunity for somebody else to break your strategy. You know what I'm saying? In that way, they were different. But if I had to choose between the two, I would play this game probably before Seven Wonders. I really enjoyed it, and I would like another try at it. I did okay in the game, but man, I saw a lot of strategy as well that I could, I'd like to try. I think that's probably why I enjoyed this one more, because of the way that you describe Seven Wonders. You have to kind of watch your neighbors to either side, and you have to use their resources, and, some, and, and that part could not be mitigated because I had no control over it, whereas this game, I had control over every piece of it. And that is more my style, I think. I, I enjoy just having my own board and let me just look at my board and, and maximize what I can do myself. And I think that might be why I liked it better. Ah, I get that. Well, I think for me, there's a lot of things about Seven Wonders that people love that are the exact things that are the reasons why I don't like it. Some examples are the military strategy or the military piece of the game. I, I was never a big fan of that. I don't like the fact that Every time you play Seven Wonders, particularly if you have the base game, depending on the player count, you're always going to have the exact same cards in the game. Some people love that because they always know what's out there and what they have a chance to get. I personally don't like that. I think it's limiting. It's just not something that I that I like. So if you play Seven Wonders a lot, then you know you can always try to stick to the same kind of strategy, which you can't always guarantee because somebody might draft stuff out from under you. I don't. I feel like this game kind of. I don't want to say fixes, but it changes that in that there's so many cards in the game and there's so many cards that come out and that you're going to see over the course of the game that, you know, you you can almost always pull cards that are going to fit with the strategy that you're going with. I didn't like the military. This takes that away. 
Yes, you could say it's kind of multiplayer solitaire, and it kind of is. There's a little bit of interaction. You can look at what other people are doing and try to draft cards out from under them, but typically you're going to be drafting the cards that are going to work best for you. Correct. I mean, that's the smart That's the smart way yeah, to play this exactly. one. exactly. And on top of that, your civilization really kind of dominates what your strategy is going to be, what your starting resources are. It kind of just takes it for you. That's true. This is true. It pushes you in a direction, that's for sure, which I also like that. I mean, that helps me out because I'm kind of a dummy. So, you know, I need a little it bit of help. It gives you a starting point. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it this is... I mean, I, it's no secret that I was never a real big fan of Seven Wonders. The fact that this this kind of took that style of gameplay from something that I was not really interested in playing to, yeah, bring it on. I like this one quite a bit. Actually, as we were talking about it, I was thinking about some of the limitations of it, but I won't knock it too bad. I enjoyed the game. Oh, oh, it's definitely got its flaws. There's no doubt about that. The starting civilizations, as I think about it, they really push you into a direction. And I think it's hard to, to get out of that. As I looked at our final scores, my starting two colors was uh, yellow and black. And I ended up having a lot of yellow and black buildings because of it. And then Chris, he ended up having so many yellow and that was basically what he did. And he got two cards that just landed him combo off of those yellows and just we scored so many points, which was amazing. It was great. Well, yeah, he, he ran with his strategy from the very beginning. What happened with him is that every round he got cards that helped him. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's true. I had a couple of rounds where I had decent cards, but not great cards. So that's going to be, I mean, that's any drafting game. There's always going to be the possibility that the cards you get just don't work fantastically for what you're going to do. Some are be better than others. And some people are possibly are just going to have lucky draw after lucky draw after lucky draw. So it's just one of those things in this game. And, And that doesn't, that doesn't really bother me. What I did like though, is the setting of this game. I love that whole dystopian future kind of- Oh, it was really cool. Yeah. The artwork was awesome. Oh, it was amazing. Some of the card names were really good too. Some of that stuff bordered on disturbing, but I think most of it speaks to think. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about that. The genetic modification and cloning; those are a little creepy, <laughs> but I mean, I thought they were yeah. cool too. But I love a good sci-fi story, so it, it didn't bother me. Yeah, some of those <laughs> things, Jerry, I wish were science fiction. Yeah, like you want gills for your kid. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> So the next game we played was Reavers of Midgard, and this is designed by J.B. Howell, published by Gray Fox Games for two to four players. And this is a, it's kind of described as a single worker placement game. And what that means is there's one token that all the players move around on the board to the worker placement spaces. And it has action selection, it has dice combat, it has set collection, and it's basically a game of Viking proportions, right? Where players battle monsters and pillage on the open seas to gain glory. And of course, in this game, glory is victory points. So in each of six rounds, players are going to select an action space and perform an action that then all of the other players can follow and perform as well, albeit a weaker action, and they can only do it if they can afford it. And then after six rounds, the most glory wins the game. As far as description, that's as far as I'm going to go, because I got a little bit to say about this one. I was very much looking forward to it. It was on my anticipated list. Even though I'm not a huge fan of Viking themes, that's not really something I get into. But just seeing this game and, and the, the artwork and all that was that went along with it, the fact that it was the follow-up to uh, Champions of Midgard, it had a lot going for it in terms of hype and buzz. And I love that whole action selection, like, you know, the Puerto Rico Race for the Galaxy style deal where... I get to do something and everybody else can do it too, but it's not quite as powerful as, as if I chose that action. So I was looking forward to it. Unfortunately, it just didn't quite live up. 
and I was going to just completely harpoon this game, but honestly, I recently listened to a podcast from Richard Hamm, more commonly known as Rado, where he kind of scolded another reviewer for bashing a game, like completely bashing it, and I kind of agree with him. And we talked about it a little bit already in this podcast. Just because it's something that you don't like doesn't mean that there's no audience necessarily for a game. So all I'll say is this one just isn't for me. But there are some things that were kind of glaring to me that I think a lot of people may latch onto or be able to agree with. First off, rule book. I thought the rule book was, let's just say, not good at all. <laughs> Unmitigated disaster. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I was the one who read it. So mm. I was complaining about it a lot as we were going through the game that I thought the rule book was disconnected. It was kind of all over the place. It wasn't organized well at all but I was the one who was reading it. Now, it could be said that this is just because people learn differently, right? People have different ways of processing information. So there's always a chance that if somebody else read this rule book, they might say, oh, well, that makes perfect sense to me. I mm -hmm. Okay, I get this. It's no problem at all. Bing, bang, boom, right? No. It, not for me. It just, it did not make sense. Dave, after, after, after the first or second round, we had some questions and you were done with reading the rule book, which I had no problem with. And I tried to find some simple answers to some important mechanisms of the game and they were either completely lacking or they were buried in like the like the small text explaining certain like thing it just the rule book was not done well that i'm sorry and for it, it could have been done better I'm, I'm trying to be nice i understand what you're saying but we should we should speak truthfully no i agree i'm not bashing the game i'm just speaking that the rule book could have been done better period well and and in something else that will attest to that is the fact that we were having to constantly go back to the rule book to look for things for clarifications on stuff and the the other thing that just kind of glared at me were the fact that it would go through a certain section uh, of say one of the action selection or worker placement spots and it would just throw in a concept or a, or a word or a a series of words that they then completely did not explain that you didn't learn about until three pages further down in the rule book. So they would throw this at you, not explain it at all, and just figure that, oh, okay, well, we'll just figure this out later. It was, it was that kind of stuff that it just didn't, it didn't flow at all for me. And that's problematic. Nobody learns like that. If you read about an unhitched conception and then you, you don't understand it, you're not going to latch onto that. You're not going to be able to build it into the concept of the game. So it's just going to be lost to you. And then you're going to, you might remember the word yeah. and be like, oh, now I have to go back and reread. Reread that. Yeah. In order to make it work because now I understand what the concept is. That's, that's poor planning on a rule book. I'm sorry. That's what it is. Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I want to feel like that there's probably somebody out there who who could figure it out in that manner. And, and maybe that's that person who wrote it. Maybe that makes sense to them. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. But but you're right. I do read a ton of rule books. I, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on what a good one is and what a not so good one is. So adding to that, I also did not like the way that this game developed. I felt like that usually as a game progresses, it kind of builds and it, and it turns into something and strategies develop. I, and I never got that with this game. I mean, maybe a little bit, but it just kind of felt like I was, okay, well, I'll go here because I guess this makes the most sense for me 
right now, or that might be the best thing to do. Uh, but then there were also places that you could go where there was this completely random draw and you never knew what was coming and you could get completely screwed out of doing anything. And then with this action selection that normally I like, where I always get to do something on ev everybody's turn, there were times that if you just didn't have the stuff that you needed to take an action, well, too bad, so sad. Or if it was too expensive and you had already planned to use that somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was always, you can always take, I think it was a, a chicken, you can always take a uh, some some food some chicken. <laughs> chicken it was it was represented in a uh, in a chicken leg <laughs> a cooked I, chicken leg it looked like a chicken leg but yeah there was just too many ways too many ways to get screwed out of a turn i felt i mean it, the game wasn't directly mean in like player interaction type of mean mm -mm. but it it just wasn't easy to mitigate that screwage factor then in addition to that it's obvious that there was a ton of money spent on the production of this game it was beautiful the custom dice and the custom artwork and just the way the board was laid out and the iconography. And the, you could tell that there was a lot of time and money spent on that. But there were also some very odd things to me that I felt like they missed that, in my opinion, should have been addressed. So a couple examples of that are with those resources you were talking about, the chicken or the food, as they called it. There were two sizes of food tokens. One was for one piece of food. One was for five pieces of food. But all the, the only differentiator was that they were a little bit different in size. There was no text on them saying that this is a one and this is a five. It was just, oh, this one's a little bit bigger. And it was the same thing with, I think it was the horns. Uh, There's a couple of different resources that were like that. I thought that, I, I think that's terrible. I mean, if you're going to do something like that, put some text on it. Because at a glance, it's not super easy to tell. At least for me. No, I agree. No, you're exactly right. And when we were handing them out, I just thought they were trying to be cute and because they're not that much bigger. So I thought they were just trying to be cute and vary the size. So I'm handing out fives with ones thinking that they're all ones, not right. knowing any better when we were setting up the game. Well, and the rule book speaks to it. But to me, it just, it just, I, I didn't think it was the right decision to go that route. Personally, I'm not a game designer, but I play a lot of games. So there you go. And then this, the other thing that jumped out at me was the scoring markers. To me, there's two ways to handle this. This is a game where you can, the scoreboard went to 100 and you can easily get past 100 points in this game. And we had a couple people that did. But the scoring tokens themselves did not have like one side that was screen printed with 100 plus. And there were, I don't, not that I saw, there were no 100 plus tokens that you could take saying, oh, I'm over 100 now. So you just had to know. You just had to remember. All this money was spent on the production, but they, they couldn't do one of those two little things to, I don't know. I, am I nitpicking? Am I am I being too picky? I don't know. No. I, I just felt there was everything just kind of got to me with this game. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I will say this is one of the prettiest games we played all week. Yeah. Absolutely. This and It's a Wonderful Life. Is it a Wonderful Life or World? Wonderful World. Whatever. It's a Wonderful yeah, World. <laughs> yeah, it's a Wonderful World. We're two of probably the prettiest games we played the entire weekend. And one was amazing and hit it out of the park conceptually as well. Aside from the beautiful components. And you know, you pointed it out. The mechanisms are fun mechanisms that should work. I love, uh, you know, I'm going to take a turn and you guys get a lesser turn. And I'll get to, you know, power off of this turn a lot. And you guys will get to do something at least. Sure. I was expecting it to work. It, di it didn't work. And also, it didn't flow. It felt like they were trying to make a Euro sandbox game and it just didn't work. I, I don't know how else to say it. Like there were Ameritrashy components to it, but there was also, you know, I can't even nail it down what it was, but it was something lacking. This is another one where I was done by the second or third round and I'm, I hesitate to ever quit a game, which is why we completed this. It's why we completed Imagineers. We did complete it. Because 
in my opinion, you play it out to the end, especially, and this is probably why we stuck to it even more, because we spent an hour, one hour reading the rule book. The the learning process in this game really never stopped from beginning to end. It did not. But I would say with the rule book plus our getting used to the mechanisms and learning and having to reference back a lot, it was it was at least 90 minutes. It was. When we finally, I'd say by the third or fourth round, we were probably moving where we weren't referencing the rule book every single time, but there were still little things we had to keep checking on. And while everybody else was taking a turn, I spent, I don't remember what the particular rule wasn't exactly, but I spent both of your turns looking through the rule book to try and find the one sentence worth of text that we needed to answer a question that seemed kind of important. Yeah. I kept waiting for it to get better. Yeah. I wanted it to get better. But that kind of goes back to my original point, which is I just felt like this game never went anywhere. It never built toward anything that I felt was meaningful or interesting or fun. Sorry. No, there it is. There it is. (laughs) Please tell me you felt differently, Kathy. (laughs) Well, I hate to disappoint, but I believe I'm kind of on the same page. Not going to regurgitate what you already said about the frustrating rules and all that, but I think all of that kind of set the tone for me when the game was starting. I kind of seemed to go through the motions on it. I, I was kind of disconnected already after we'd spent so much time on the rule book. So it, it was, an, for me, it was an okay game. I think if we, j- maybe if I had just been taught the game by someone that was already familiar with the game, it might've been a different experience, but I'm not really sure. And it didn't, oh man. And the, in the dice, I understand them being the Vikings on your ship, but it just never, it just never seemed like you could have easily played those dice with just meeples. Why did they need to be dice? Well, they were pretty. They were pretty. They were pretty. And they did have different values that ga- that allowed you to do different things. But I feel like that added unnecessary complexity. I think that's what you're getting at, right? That's what I'm saying. I, I, understand, I understand that they had a purpose. But I think you could have eliminated that whole layer of complexity and just had meeples that come back on your different colored meeples to, to represent the different clans and their different abilities and actions and just eliminate the die values. So you need two red meeples, or if you've got a leader who's a who's a red, then they can be wilds to help move this this particular action forward. And I think that could have simplified and streamlined the game just a touch, which would have probably made this an easier game to play. I would agree with that. It it had some unnecessary complexity. It had a lot of convoluted things in it. Kind of shoddy rulebook. Man, okay. I think that's all we got to say about that. We're done. That was Reavers of Midgard. Reavers of Midgard. Oh yeah, and guess what, guys? I hate you guys. I was waiting for it, man. <laughs> All right. Well, the next game we played was a game that I've already talked about on the podcast before, and that is Horrified, designed by Prospero Hall, published by Ravensburger for one to five players. And if you want to hear a little bit more about this one, as far as the full kind of rundown and, and how you play that kind of thing, you can go back and listen to episode number eight of the Board Together Games podcast. But basically, this is a co-op game where players are heroes fighting off monsters from the Universal Studio classic monster movies like Dracula and the Wolfman. Really cool little co-op. As I said back in episode eight, I really like this game. And I got to tell you, after playing it a second time, I want to buy this game. I like it that much. The only thing holding me back is I'm not sure how often I'm going to get it to the table. I think after playing it with you guys, that that's that's going to keep me from buying it because even though I think you guys both liked it, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think you guys really felt the same way as I did about it as far as how much I like it. Well, I I didn't love it like you do. I thought it was a neat little co-op game. I'm not as big of a fan of the IP as you are, but even still, it was interesting how all the different monsters had different ways to be defeated. And it was it was interesting, the interaction and how it worked on the board. And like, you know, you had the 
Frankenstein and his and his uh, Bride of Frankenstein, and they had to come closer to each other, and you know things like that. They were they were all a little bit uh, asymmetrical. So I did enjoy it. It was it was neat. Um, and if you buy it, I'll I'll play it again. It just I wasn't in love with it like you are. Fair enough. I'm having a hmm, how to say this. I'm having a heart change on co-op games. We played two, and we'll go over the second one here in just a minute. But this style of there's a board, and then there's a dumb AI that moves randomly based on the rules that a card tells it is not, it doesn't engage me on the same level as some other co-op games. I had no problem with it. I thought the IP was interesting and fun, and I would play this board game because if somebody else wanted to play it. But I find these to be a little lacking in terms of depth. You know, you know kind of what's going to happen. You just hope that a bad card doesn't come out and not too many dice are rolled against you. I think games like this and maybe the next one we're going to talk about might be better if it was like a one versus mini style game. I don't know. This is this is where I'm coming down to it. Like, the AI is almost too dumb for me. Well, I'm kind of on the same page with you. The reason that this one gets the exception from me is a couple of reasons. Okay. One, because of the IP. Number two, because of the asymmetric monster abilities. Which is cool. And it's, to me, it's just kind of, I, it's just kind of fun. But for the most part, for the most part, I would agree with you. Yeah. The, that, that particular game trope is getting a little tired. It is. I would agree. You know, and also I think because I've played an excellent and probably my favorite co-op game, which is The Reckoners. And that, you know, even though it has an AI, that seems to be a game that engages me and it's complicated enough. And there's enough co-op that's truly we're trying to work together that that one takes up the stress levels and the tension up to a decent enough level that I'm engaged with it. Maybe that's what it is. Well, the other co-op game that Jerry has already referenced twice now is, man, this this one really hurts my heart a little bit. I know. Is a game called Trogdor. Oh, yeah. And we spoke about this one a little bit in our uh, anticipated lists for this little convention that we went to. And this one is designed by the Brothers Chaps and James Ernst. It is self-published and it's for one to six players. And this is based on, if you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't, right? It's based on the the hilarious, in my opinion, Flash cartoon series from back in the early 2000s called Homestar Runner. So good. And it's a co-op game that pits players as Trogdor, you know, with his muscular single arm and all the consummate v's right <laughs> burninating the countryside burninating the peasants that's what you're doing in this game so players are going to take turns moving trogdor around the board it's a modular board just a bunch of tiles of was it five by five or five by six grid i can't remember was it five it was it was square it was five by five i think yeah yeah five by five and you take actions basically t- that allow you to burninate everything just burn it all up that's how you win. If you can successfully burninate everything before taking too much damage from knights and from the archer, you win the game. It's super simple, and I wanted to like it. I really wanted to like this game, especially considering how much I watched these cartoons religiously. And I still do. I still watch them a lot. My kids are even into it now. But unfortunately, this turned out to be just an okay co-op with hilarious theme and flavor. But the gameplay, mm, unfortunately... It was fun. I mean, I had a good time with it, but it's one of those things. If I owned this, I mean, it it would probably never get to the table unless somebody came over and they were a fan too. And they were like, oh, we got to play that. I mean, that's about the only time I could see it getting to the table. Well, I had never heard of Trogdor before playing the game. 
So I didn't get the jokes or any of the comments or like the, the, the pieces or any any of the- There were some good ones. Oh, it had jokes. I'm sure there was. It had the jokes. So I don't know anything about the show. So it was all a little ambiguous to me. I didn't really enjoy the game. And it's probably because I didn't understand it. I, it's really a good game for someone that likes Trogdor and that they would enjoy it. But I did not enjoy it. And I think it was a, because it was an okay game to start with, and I didn't understand all the, I guess, IP of Trogdor, it was a, a no-go for me at all. <laughs> we appreciate you humoring us. I, I really did appreciate it. I wanted to get to the table. And I got to say, they must have kickstarted the crap out of this game because it had like five different types of Trogdor. All the, that had the cartoon version. It had like a full, like sculpted 3D sculpture type one. It had just a regular old, uh, meeple style Trogdor. Like it had the whole range. And it had a teen girl squad Trogdor. <laughs> it did. It, it had them all. It pretty much had all the Trogdor. The designer was definitely a fan. <laughs> Well, the di the designers were the creators. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. But this is a perfect example of theme over function. There's nothing wrong, like you said, with the gameplay, but it also is nothing unique or captivating. You could paste any other co-op over this and play basically the same game. It, it was kind of meh on that. And I, I hate that. I hate to say that because I love the IP. I, I love it. Well, I think they implemented it well. They implemented the theme into the yeah. with the mechanisms well. They did. But I'm just saying there was nothing unique about this co-op play where I where where I was like, oh wow, look at what they did there. I've never played a game co-op like that. You know, very cool. It was it, it was a co-op game. Yeah, you know <laughs> that it was. I was thinking about it, and I love Star Wars. Like, love it. And I, I would do the same thing with them. I'd call out a crappy game with a Star Wars theme. And I have, you know, before I've played bad Star Wars games and I've gotten rid of them because they weren't going to stay on my table. And I've also played amazing ones that I love and are some of my top five favorite games of all time. So I need a good theme, but in that I also need a good gameplay. Well, I think this being what it was towards the end of the convention, I was really hoping that this would be the game that I won in the play and win. And the reason for that is because then I would have the game... I wouldn't have spent any money on it, but I'd still have all the cool little miniatures that I could put up on my shelf and display. You could hide those things all over your shelf. That'd be awesome. That's kind of where I ended up with this one. It made me sad. Yeah. But hey, cool theme. It was funny. I had a, I had a great time reading the jokes and seeing all the references to the to the cartoons. That part was great. If you're a board gamer and you're a fan of Homestar Runner and you want something that's kind of flashy and your your friends will get the inside jokes on, this is a good game. But if you if you're looking for this to be something that hits your table a lot, other than just collecting it, I don't know if this would be the the ideal game. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. I would agree. Kathy, why don't you tell us about the next one? I certainly will. The next game we played was Antiquity Quest. There is no credited designer, uh, but it is published by Grandpa Beck's Games, and it's for two to eight players. So this game is a card game that kind of has the feel of Hand and Foot or Canasta, if you're familiar with those games. Players each get 10 cards in their hand, and they also get 10 cards in their cash, or what you would call your foot if you play Hand and Foot. Each player works to create sets of either number cards or gem cards for different point values. You can play your cards in your hand on either your sets or the other player's sets in order to empty your hand. Once your hand is empty, then you can pick up your cash and play that. The first player that makes five sets and then you discard your final card wins 500 points towards your score. 
Then each of the players add up the rest of their points from their sets and other special cards, and the one with the most points wins. And I believe it's played over three rounds total. I really enjoyed this game. We were taught this game by Chris and Kayla, uh, the couple that we were playing several games with, and I will never turn on a play of it because it makes sense. Because I play hand and foot all the time with my parents. I mean, all the time. I was originally thinking about, as I was playing this game, buying it and introducing it to them, but I have a feeling that they're just going to say, this is a little more complicated than I like, and maybe we'll just go back to hand and foot because we already know how to play that. So I probably won't buy it, but I truly enjoyed it. And if I'm asked to play it again, I definitely will. Well, I love card games. As we've said many times on this podcast, we grew up playing card games, and I really enjoyed playing this game with you guys and Kayla and Chris, but I don't think it's something that I would seek out. In fact, I'd probably defer to playing regular hand and foot. I've only played it a couple times, but I just, I don't know. I kind of like the teamwork that the original game kind of gives you, that hand and foot gives you, as opposed to the individual play that this one does. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. And that's one of the things that I've always liked about card games is having that other person or even multiple people on your team that you kind of work together with. So I I kind of don't like the fact that this game took that away. So Mm -hmm, I can see that. I think that kind of, that kind of sums up where this one landed for me. It wasn't bad. And I really enjoyed the company that I played it with, but it's, it's wasn't like a, it didn't blow me away. Let's put it that way. I've never played any foot and mouth games, but um, they seem pretty cool. (laughs) I seem like something that you would do that kind of fun to play. Well, have you ever contracted any foot and mouth diseases? Well, I licked one of the cards and now I have to go to the doctor. Do you own any cows that are mad? Are they angry cows? No. Okay. I enjoyed this game. Uh, I didn't realize the other one had more teamwork, I guess, is what you're telling me. Yeah, it's played as partners. It probably didn't hurt also that I whooped your butts. I enjoyed kicking your tails up and down. I don't remember that part of it. I don't know what he's talking about. I had like 10,000 points. The next nearest person had like 8,500. So yeah, I kicked all of your butts. I don't remember how many points I had in this game. It was... I did fair. I think I was second to last. But, you know, it's like any card game. It's There's a lot of luck involved. It's, you got to catch some cards. It's, you got to catch some cards. Exactly. I get it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it don't. And really, it's more about the experience. And when I play card games, I like sitting there having conversations, you know, talking trash. That's kind of fun. This is true. That is one thing I must say that is nice about a card game and one that you understand. Like Reavers of Midgard, we were not talking. We weren't conversing. We were sitting there ruminating about when will this game be over? Watching steam come out of Dave's ears. Yeah, it was, (laughs) you know, and there was no conversation and back and forth. And other games, you know, like Trogdor and stuff, we were joking about it. And that that was good. But this one, it lended itself to you got your cards in your hand. You're just waiting for your turn to come around and make your move. And in the meantime, you can talk and joke and I it was it was great camaraderie it was nice to play it with Chris and Kayla and I would definitely play that or uh, foot and mouth anytime you guys want I'm good with that glad you <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it yes all right well I think the last one we are going to talk about for this podcast is a little social deduction game called the Grim Masquerade this one was talked about a little bit in the preview episode and it is designed by quite a few people Tim Eisner Ben Eisner James Hudson Published by Skybound Games, and it's for two to five players, which I thought was really interesting when I first saw it for a social deduction game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I will say that the social part is, it's there, but it's dialed back. Way back. I would call it more deduction and bluffing 
as opposed to social. But the game is set in the Grim Fairy Tale universe, and players are all going to get a roll card in, I think it's three different rounds, and in each round, every player gets a roll card, and that roll card is going to be one of eight possible characters. And that character that you received, they have two things. They have one thing that they covet, that they really want to get their hands on, and something else that they hate. They, they loathe it. They don't want it. And so what happens is these items are these things that they want or don't want are on represented on cards. So if a player ever collects three cards of the thing that they do want, then they automatically win that round. And if they ever collect two of the items that they detest, they are eliminated from that round of play. As I said a minute ago, players are going to play three rounds, taking turns drawing item cards from a big old deck. They're always going to draw two, and one of those cards they have to keep, and the other they must give away to another player. And you have to look at them one at a time. So if you pull the first one and you give it away, the next one you're taking whether you like it or not. So one thing you can do on your turn is you can guess another player's character. So anytime you have a pair of items in front of you, you can take an action, and one of the actions is guessing the role of another player. If you do that correctly, you gain a rose, which is also the victory points in this game, and it eliminates that other player from the round. You also gain roses by being the last person to survive in a round, not being knocked out. And after those three rounds, the person who has the most roses wins the game. This game was kind of a surprise for me. I usually like social deduction, and it's been tough lately for me to find things that are really unique. Social deduction was just, it was the hot thing, kind of like roll and write is now. Yeah. But this one was interesting. It was, the mechanisms aren't new, really, but they're implemented in kind of a clever way. The cool thing is it gives you some unique strategies that you can take in any given round. Unfortunately, you can also shoot yourself in the foot, which we, <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> yeah. playing, we were all so stinking tired when we played this oh, game. Oh, this is the last game of the night. We were so tired. I think everybody in the game kind of wrecked themselves at least one time in this game. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and sometimes it was it was just because of a bad draw, but other times because it was like, what was I thinking? But it, it, it did have some cool strategies. I had a great time playing it. I probably won't buy it, but I certainly wouldn't turn it down. This is another one that we played with Kayla and Chris. And the funniest thing I about this whole thing, before we played, Chris, he said he actively avoids and he passionately hates social deduction games. But I think he actually kind of liked this one. I think he did too. I don't know if he'd admit it, but I figured that was worth mentioning for other people who out there might be in the same boat. You're like, oh, I can't stand social deduction. This one was different. It was kind of interesting. It was. Well, on that same thread, I'm kind of in the same boat because I actually am not a fan of social deduction games either. Mostly because my husband doesn't understand how to play them correctly. And <laughs> apparently David knows my tells. So... I'm not a fan of usually playing them, but this one is a bit different. It didn't feel as much of a social deduction game. Like Dave said, it's more like Clue, which is more deduction, which I love. And it was less obvious calling out players uh, and like having to out and out lie. So I think that was why I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it more than most social deduction games as well. I don't know. By the time we played this on Saturday night, I, like we said, we was just mentally done. It, it was gone. But this was one I was actually looking forward to because I do enjoy a good social deduction game. I enjoy a little witty repartee between two people as they try to come up with ways of foiling each other. And I think it's it's good. This is a fun one, though. This is different, too. Grim Masquerade was interesting. It, like you guys said, the social aspect wasn't eliminated, but it was it was suppressed a little bit. 
And instead, you were looking to see what other people had in front of them. You were looking at their moves. And if I had had a better brain, I would have picked up on a couple of them as I was reviewing it. The next day, I was like, oh, yeah, if I would have just... There were a couple of times I was like, yeah, I totally missed that. And if I would have just caught it, I would have been like, oh, yeah. But because there's one thing somebody likes and one thing somebody doesn't like, if somebody is actively throwing away a card, that can be a tell that they're trying to avoid a certain card. And it could also be a bluff. It could be a bluff. As I was about to say, if you're playing a couple of layers deep, it could also be a bluff. But those are all things to kind of look for and play off of. And if you get one of the cards that you saw them throw away, it might be a card you throw their way to see what happens, you know? And so, uh, by the time that Saturday night came around, I could not track all of that and I was doing a bad job. In fact, there was one point where I think I threw down and was like, you're totally, and it was somebody who I think they, that was already eliminated or that they had already said that they weren't, it was, it was bad. It wasn't pretty, but I think what ended up happening was our being so tired, so tired kind of added to the enjoyment of the game, really. It kind of did. It did. It did. Like when, let's see, Kayla was asking David if he was a certain character and he pointed and she pointed in my direction and I thought she was pointing at me. And she got you right. And she got me right when yeah. she was actually asking if it was David. So I don't like... And you flipped your card and you're like, yeah, you got me. And we were like, he was... I did. And she's like, I wasn't asking you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was embarrassing, but funny. That's a product of being too tired. You got it. We're admitting how bad we are at games. <laughs> we were terrible. <laughs> We were, but you know, I had an enjoyable time and you said you wouldn't buy it. If I find this on sale in a couple of months, I would probably buy it just because I think it would be a good thing that I could introduce in a lighter way to to other gamers or to to non-gamers, I should say. This would be a good one to throw out there. Yeah, I think you're right. So you go ahead and buy it, then I can borrow it from you. Deal, deal. I will say that I looked at the stock uh, miniature market and it's out of stock, but I did put a reminder. So... I kind of have it on my wish list a little bit. There you go. <laughs> this one definitely has some great attributes, some really good things that it's got going for it. I think with a clear head, it would just start unfolding on a bunch of different levels that I didn't even, it would. That I'd even mm-hmm. grab. So you, what you hinted at, Jerry, was body language. I mean, so much can be drawn from body language that I just wasn't in a state to, to try to work with. Me neither. At that point. Me so neither. There, I, I look forward to, to having an opportunity to... Try to get into it on a little bit deeper level. Absolutely. It is a good one. Solid game. And with that, I really think we need to call it for tonight. You guys, I'm tired again. And at risk of starting to sound like a big dummy on our podcast, I say we uh, cut it. Sounds like a plan. So thank you all again for listening to the Board Together Games podcast. And as always, you guys, feel free to reach out to us on any of our multitude of social media avenues. And we've added a couple. Well, we've added one for sure since the last time we talked. So not only are we on Facebook and Twitter now, but we now finally have an Instagram account. Yay, Instagram. Yay. I think that's where people put pictures and stuff. What? <laughs> so it's the same handle, fortunately. It's board, the number two, together, B-O-A-R-D, two, G-E-T-H-E-R. So hit us up on any one of those. As always, the BGG Guild, guild number 3625. Our website is boardtogethergames.com, and you can always email us, you guys, at boardtogethergames at gmail.com. So just any questions, comments, anything like that, just shoot us a quick email. And honestly, we say it every time, the best way that you can support us is to subscribe to this podcast and give us a rating if the podcast platform you listen on has that ability. I know a lot of them don't. 
But if you listen on iTunes and if you're able to give us a five-star rating, that is a huge help to us. It helps us get the word out. It helps show up on people's recommended lists. That's fantastic. So please do that for us if you so choose and share it with your friends, share it with your enemies, share it with people you don't even know. You know, just share, share, share. That's another great way. That's actually a good point. If you hate this podcast, give it to all of your enemies, please. Yes, that'd be good. That'd be all. That'd be excellent. <laughs> we, would, we, we would love that. We would love it. So we look forward to seeing you guys in the next one. But in the meantime, if you're bored together, bored, bored together. together, take care. I'm too tired to joke around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually,